Hi, everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Kraut. And today we are going back in time once again and talking about one of our favorite actresses who sadly never won a competitive Oscar. We will be talking about Barbara Stanwyck. We covered one of her best films, Double Indemnity, on our November episode last year, so go back and listen to that. But today we'll be talking about her other three Best Actress nominations for Stella Dallas, Ball of Fire, and Sorry Wrong Number. Barbara, to me, is such a legend. She is one of my favorites, if not my favorite actress from the old Hollywood generation. I love that she was only nominated for Best Actress in all of these performances, but watching many of her films for this pod, I'm kind of surprised she's not like a Meryl Streep where she gets nominated for everything because all of her performances just floor me and I'm always glued to the screen. No matter what she's doing, she is cunning, she's stunning, she's beautiful, Everything she wears, kind of like what we've talked about with Audrey Hepburn, just fits her perfectly. And I love every frame. I love every line delivery. She's incredible. And I'm excited that we're finally doing a pot on her. Yeah, I love her too. I think she, it's hard to pick just one actress from the period, but she's definitely up there for me too. She was born July 16th, 1907 fellow cancer. cancer ruby catherine stevens was her birth name and i think barbara stanwick is a good stage name i can't imagine her as a ruby <laughs> stevens but yeah she pulled the name from a play where she combined the first name from the play title with the last name of one of the actors in the play and that's how her stage name was born she was originally a Ziegfeld girl showgirl Broadway actress before she transitioned to the early talkies and she really is the type of actress who you can't look away from and she's so different I think from other actresses that we've covered before or haven't covered before from the time she's so versatile as an actress you can really watch her in anything whether it's comedy melodrama noir She can do it all, and she has this very natural way about her that's very ahead of the time. I think sometimes, Mm -hmm. as much as I love some of the actors from this period and some of the films, their appearances can be very mannered or artificial, and it's a style of the period that she just didn't have. She feels like you could really put her in any time period all the way up until the 2020s. And she would succeed in any of the films from those times, which is pretty cool. And I, you know, it's it's criminal that she never won an Oscar. I personally would have given her three. We can talk about those as we go through these movies. But the cool thing about that was one of the reasons I think she never won was because she was a free agent for most of her career. So she wasn't really tied to a specific studio. She got to kind of go in and out and had different contracts with different places. And that really allowed her to pick the roles that she wanted and to have power in some aspects of her career, which I think it's cooler to be in Double Indemnity and Ball of Fire and The Lady Eve than to win a Best Actress Oscar. It really is a shame. 
One more fact, she was born in Flatbush in Brooklyn, New York. We oh, also love that. A Brooklyn that. girl. Mm-hmm, a Brooklyn cancer. Yes. There's nothing better. <laughs> oh. But you mentioning the talkies, I sometimes have a problem with actors and films that, you know, had trouble transitioning from silent movies into the talkie era because of their acting style and it's very overproduced because they weren't used to this or you know they had been in silent movies you had to overact because there was no sound and I think as some of these movies opened with sound now it just plays as outdated and it feels too overdone which is why I like covering Barbara because you know she had a career from 1927 until 1986 she worked in film and tv and Watching these movies, I forget that they're from the 30s and the 40s, the ones that we'll talk about today, because her acting style doesn't have any of those faux pas. It doesn't take me back to another time. It feels real. It feels like she isn't stuck in one generation. And I love that. The performance is always, no matter what she's doing, whether it's playing Henry Fonda's character in The Lady Eve or pining over her daughter in Stella Dallas, it's like... You believe every stroke, every line, every moment from her. And she does it all. Yeah, she is a legend for a reason. And she stands apart, I think, from a lot of the other actresses from that time who I also love. But especially for modern audiences, I think that Mm -hmm. if you're trying to get into classic Hollywood film, her filmography is actually a really great place to start because she feels so of her time but also accessible to modern audiences yeah definitely i agree so i mentioned she worked in tv she briefly had her own show the barbara stanwick show it only ran for one season but she ended up winning three emmys for three different programs and a golden globe she did win an honorary oscar in 1981 given by john travolta which was like a really special moment for him too There's a fun clip of that on YouTube. Just some other highlights from her career. I mentioned The Lady Eve, Union Pacific. She had a few Westerns. (laughs) Did you try to watch them? (laughs) I may not be going near those. That's her genre that will will remain untapped for you. Right. It's like I'm trying to have her be my most watched actress on Letterboxd for the year, but that may not Mm -hmm. happen. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Big Valley, her TV show that she's Uh really well known for, my mom has been telling me to watch The Big Valley for so long, and I know that I need to. I need to find it somewhere, but it is a Western drama. And a TV show? Maybe that can be a project for us, and a TV show, yeah. Hmm. I'll look into it. The family that owns a ranch. She's like the matriarch of the ranch. (laughs) I... Well, also Christmas in Connecticut. I love that one. Executive Suite Mm -hmm. and Meet John Doe. She has so many films and TV shows. So let's get started with her first Oscar nomination from 1937. We have Stella Dallas. Description here, a working class woman is willing to do whatever it takes to give her daughter a socially promising future. This was directed by King Vidor. It stars Barbara Stanwyck, John Bowles, Anne Shirley, and Barbara O'Neill. It was nominated for two Oscars, just our ladies, Barbara Stanwyck for Best Actress and Anne Shirley for Best Supporting Actress. 
Was this your first time watching Stella Dallas? And what did you think of it and Barbara's performance? This was my first time. I had heard a few people mentioning this. I think Kevin with his pod and you having mentioned that her performance is really good. I knew of the final shot because of it being so monumental for her character. So I was waiting for Mm -hmm. that a little bit. And I was blown away by this movie and by her performance. I don't care who was nominated that year. I looked back and it was the Louise Reiner, the Good Earth year. I don't care who else Mm -hmm. was nominated. She should have won. This movie is such a showcase of Barbara. Mm-hmm. Not only because she starts really young and becomes a mother and the makeup work for her, I think, really works and the wig she wears. It ranges from making you feel uncomfortable to loving to incredibly sad and happy. And I think with them both getting nominated, the two female performances are incredible is the right end for this movie. But yeah, I was I was blown away in tears by the end. It's funny because this movie, it's in a subgenre of women's pictures from the time that were called maternal melodramas. And when you hear maternal melodrama, I think you imagine a more heightened, maybe soapy version mm-hmm. of what this is. And she, I think completely elevates this genre and turns the movie into something way more than it is on paper. I think if another actress tried to take on Stella Dallas, this movie could go not horribly wrong, but I just don't think it would have the same punch that it does Mm -hmm. by the end. I completely agree with you. Number one, Louise Reiner for The Good Earth is my least favorite best actress win of all time. (laughs) It's like, her, Mary Pickford, Sandra Bullock. That's the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> but she's she's down there. because She's playing a Chinese woman in The Good Earth. And the performance I would describe as hungover and sleepy. In addition to just being terribly miscast. Should have been Anna Mae Wong. Anyway. The other nominees in the category, though, also great. Mm-hmm. Janet Gaynor for A Star is Born. Irene Dunn for The Awful Truth, who I absolutely adore. And Greta Garbo for Camille. But... I still would give it to Barbara Stanwyck. She is out of control good in this movie. I think about how she can seriously do anything. And I think that Anne Shirley is also excellent in the film. The two of them play off of each other really well. And I think both deliver really nuanced performances. And I just, I love Stanwyck's understanding of Stella Dallas as a character just down to the way that she shows off her clothes and her jewelry, to the way that she enters a room, to the scenes where you just see her heart break across her face. It's a style of acting that we don't see for years. And I've, I've said previously about this, we don't get Shirley MacLaine in terms of endearment without Barbara Stanwyck and Stella Dallas. We don't get so many of these heartbroken mother performances without this. This is like the urtext of that. And I don't know, there's so many scenes you can point to throughout the movie that just show her versatility and power as an actress. And yeah, I agree with you. This movie is a really hard watch. It is completely heartbreaking. 
to see this woman's personality evolve throughout the movie as she becomes more aware of herself and her effect on other people and how her place in the world is viewed. It's, again, something that could feel cartoonish in the hands of someone else, but feels completely realized and heartbreaking in her hands. Yeah, there's a physicality to her performance that she also mixes with these wonderful glances and understandings of the characters around her, be it her daughter or her husband, that she is slowly separating from and divorcing from, which there are different qualities to each of these relationships that she holds in such delicate regards. And to see her do that is really what's so magical about this movie, because it's understanding these dynamics of her and Ed being best friends, and I didn't think there was anything sexual there, and she draws the line very clearly, but Stephen, her husband, doesn't. He is Mm -hmm. not a fan of Ed, and he sees either some sexual tension between them or that he's just always around a bad influence on their daughter. Ed's always drinking, and towards the end is really his demise, but... It comes back to watching Barbara as Stella handle both of these men and her daughter. I think what's so heartbreaking is how in the beginning she says a quote about no one can ever take my daughter away from me. Mm -hmm. And I think that whole movie, you're waiting to see her daughter being taken away from her. Mm -hmm. And I don't think until the very end you realize it can happen, even though it happens really slowly. And that's what's so devastating about the movie is her and Steven separating but the daughter being loyal to the mother and even when Mrs. Morrison this rich woman who Steven likes comes into the picture you know she still wants to stay with Stella and then the other part of it Stella just wants to fit in and mm-hmm. it is just the scene when she's around her daughter's friends or the people in the soda oh, shop when she bounces the ball <laughs> yes it's so hard to watch Uh, and it's all the bracelets and the gaudy clothes just like layers on layers on layers trying to seem like an upper class woman and it's just too Mm -hmm. much and every little thing is just it's just so hard to watch everything fall apart Mm -hmm. and the realizations that every character has in those moments At that point, you know where things are leading and you're scared to finish the movie. It's such a difficult movie to watch, despite it also being just such a a strong film because of her performance. Like you enjoy watching her performance Mm -hmm. because it's just a master class in acting. But also the secondhand embarrassment you get and just the pain that you feel for her. So many of the characters in this movie act like she's a bad mother But she only cares about her daughter, right? Like, there are moments, too, where Stanwyck, she cares about her daughter, but also you can feel sometimes that she loves certain amounts of attention being put on her, which I I love that about the performance. It's those little details that make the character interesting, that she wants people to like her, she wants to fit in so badly, and they plant the seeds in really clever ways earlier in the script by showing how she does want to social climb. She wants to be in a completely different 
class, right? But at the end of the day, what she really cares about is her daughter. So it's so heartbreaking to see her, you know, go through that mm-hmm. and to hear people talking about her. The scene when she's with her daughter on the train is almost as heartbreaking as the ending. When she hears the people talking about her, you just see her face in that moment, register that, like, what people think of her. It is, yeah, like you said, it's just, it's so sad. Mm -hmm. But I think it's exciting that something like this, that was an incredibly popular novel at the time, turned into a very popular film. It makes sense why it was, because so many women, I think in particular, were able to connect with Stella as a character and understand her emotions and her choices of always wanting to first better herself and create a better life for herself, but ultimately sacrificing everything for her daughter so that her daughter could have a better life. And I don't know, it's like, it's so sad that she thought that was giving her daughter something better, like staying out of it, watching her daughter's wedding from Mm -hmm. the rain. It's just devastating that she thought that that was the best thing that she could do for her. Oh, it makes me so sad. And it, this movie earns its tears. I don't know. It doesn't feel cloying or saccharine or anything Mm -hmm. like that. It doesn't feel like it's just trying to, to get you in the end. Like she totally earns that moment. It hits on, those parental values really well, which I don't think we see a lot in film of sacrificing for your kids. And I think that's a hard concept to have if you're not a parent, but you feel that here, even if in certain moments you want to shake her because she's doing Mm -hmm. things unnecessarily, but you understand her motivations. And it's this really complex understanding almost of why she's doing what she's doing it's just hard because in the beginning you know there's another aspect to her of greed of wanting to be in this upper echelon of society and at first she sees steven she's seen him in the paper everybody knows about him being Mm -hmm. a new bachelor and it's like oh i want to be with him and she gets her way in honestly admirable though (laughs) I mean, at that point, yeah, it's like you did it. You persevered. Good for you. But then she just has a baby. She wants to go to this party. And then she sees Mm -hmm. this other group of people and wants to hang out with them. And that's when she starts putting Steven to the side. And it's like, oh, no, like things are going awry now. And it feels like this cycle is going to start happening. And that's that's the part of her where I'm like, stop. Just look at what you have. And I know that's hard, but that's the most frustrating part of the movie. But that's also what's real about it and how she can show the good and the evil inside a person at the same time. Because I feel like that's relatable to an extent. I think also, like when they go dancing in that scene that you're talking about, she is just so much more alive and like extroverted and out there than everyone else and it's so hard to watch and it's because she's in an environment that is just not normal to her so she's performing like Mm -hmm. what she thinks this group is like or what she thinks this type of life is like and it's fun to watch because she just doesn't really care which I think is kind of freeing about those scenes 
But whenever I watch them, I always think to myself, like, this would be so irritating if another actress was doing it. Like, I think it could venture into just over the top or annoying if another actress Mm -hmm. was trying to go for this. I was personally thinking of a performance last year that I did not love, Margot Robbie in Babylon. Like, I think you could, she could have gone, you know, into that kind of, like, Mm. way too far over the top place. But she doesn't. It just feels very natural and very real to her character. And again, like we mentioned earlier, it's kind of essential for laying out the groundwork for the rest of her actions and what she has to deal with throughout the rest of the story as Lolly grows up. Yeah. One other scene I want to mention, which is the most devastating to me, probably like top five in history, is the Christmas scene when Stella's home. Ed comes in drunk, brings her a turkey. The daughter comes home with Stephen, and Stella thinks he's there for her. Long story short, Ed screws everything up, ruins their Christmas dinner, and Stephen's staying, and this is the first time that the daughter leaves her. And so again, Mm -hmm. we see this snowball rolling of devastation for Stella. And just... It's a perfectly set scene, great timing, great editing, and yeah, it just, I think, plays at one of the most important points in the film, and just seeing Stella, Barbara, her devastation is so key to this character. What about when no one comes to the party? Mm. That one's also really tough for me. Yeah. And you see the look in Stella's eyes. That little moment of recognition, it's so sad. But she's also worried that her daughter will be upset. It's very, very complex. And every time I watch it, I just think how hard it must be to be a mother. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This movie is, I think it really, it really hammers that home. Yeah. Right? It's like the 1937 version of America Ferreira's Barbie monologue. (laughs) It's like everything is just harder. Everything is impossible. And the hardest job of all is to be a mom. So, if you could give this movie one Oscar, would it be Best Actress for Barbara Stanwyck? Absolutely. She makes this movie what it is. And like I mentioned before, like you mentioned before, she should have won, I think, in her year. I think you can make a case for Irene Dunn, too. I love her in The Awful Truth. But I think that Barbara Stanwyck, if she would have won for this movie, she would be in my... Like top 10 maybe of all time winners. I think it's that good. What about you? I agree. This is Barbara's most deserved Oscar, I would say. And it's interesting in this lineup because I read that A Star is Born this year starring Janet Gaynor, who is nominated, is said to be modeled after Stanwyck's rise to stardom and her first husband, Frank Fay. That was my fun fact for the end of the episode. Oh, no. I'll think of another one. It's fine. (laughs) But that's a great fact. Yeah. Frank Faye is scary. He hit her and like pushed her down the stairs at one point. She left and didn't really have anything with her. Just fled Mm -hmm. and then created the amazing career that she has today. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was scary. It's scary. And I think Frank Faye also begged Frank Capra to watch a screen test of Barbara Stanwyck, that led to her continued partnership with Capra, too. So Mm. it really was a Star is Born situation. 
more to come on that in November. <laughs> and I think this is when she was neighbors to Joan Crawford and they were close friends because she would harbor Stanwick in those moments when she didn't want to be at home. And I think Christina, mm-hmm. yeah, Christina said this, which is funny just thinking of Mommy Dearest, but she said that oh she God, would see Barbara <laughs> scale the wall and hide out with them when he was drinking. Like, just wild. Where was Awful. that in Mommy Dearest, though? <laughs> Who would play Barbara Stanwyck in Mommy Dearest? <laughs> oh, my God. Diane Keaton. And... No, that's not right. There's someone else from that time. She's just the first person I think of. Jane Fonda? <laughs> I don't know. the What's the age? Well, because that would have been... Because it has to be one of Faye's peers. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Like, no, I'm thinking type. I'm like, could... <laughs> Jill Clayberg do it? Karen Black? I don't know. There are so many people. <laughs> okay, next up we have Ball of Fire from 1942. Description here. A group of professors working on a new encyclopedia while living in a Manhattan mansion taken a mouthy nightclub singer who is wanted by the police to help bring down her mob boss lover. This was directed by Howard Hawks. It stars Gary Cooper, Barbara Stanwyck, Oscar Homolka, Henry Travers, and my favorite character actor, S.Z. Zakal. This was nominated <laughs> for four Oscars. Actress for Stanwyck, original story. This was written by Billy Wilder and Thomas Monroe. And then sound recording and music scoring of a dramatic picture. So what do you think of Ball of Fire? Is this the other one that you really like from Stanwyck's nominations? Yeah, I think this is just a delight. The inspiration being Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, I think, works very well. And I love Howard Hawks. I think he's a genius. I really love his comedies, and we need to cover more. Bringing Up Baby and His Girl Friday are two of my favorite movies. So I would love to cover those at some point. And I think what's interesting about this is when I when I watch Ball of Fire, I always think this wouldn't have worked if Frank Capra made it, but I could see him making it because I started to think about, like, you can't take it with you and those movies mm-hmm. that he makes with bigger casts. Mm-hmm. And this is just such a fun watch, I think. And I like that Howard Hawks slowed it down a little bit from his newspaper people movies and just focused in on this really exciting premise and this really funny group of teachers working on this encyclopedia in this beautiful beautiful new york mansion i love Mm -hmm. love the setting here and i feel like barbara stanwick is just the perfect person to come in and disrupt all of that sugar posoche is also one of the best character names mm-hmm. that we have oh, yeah. it's immaculate especially for someone who has to be the foil to these professors especially gary cooper so i love this movie i think it's it's so much fun and what a swing going from melodrama to comedy yeah i agree i mean this showcases what she can do from making us cry at the end of Stella Dallas to a salacious entry of her coming in, lifting her leg and having Gary Cooper feel her foot. I feel like in the forties, this is, this would have 
had people screaming in the theater and then having them look down her throat to see if her throat was red because (laughs) she was sick from being in the rain. Just crazy that she could do all of that. And I think how the movie starts, it feels almost dreamlike. You have this group of Mm -hmm. professors walking through Central Park. I also love that it's a New York film. You see Greg Toland Mm -hmm. shot it. So just from the start, so many legends. And then we have Henry Travers, who played Clarence in It's a Wonderful Life. You know, he's one of these professors, which is also just fun to see. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, we can talk about Gary Cooper. I just... I still don't get the Gary Cooper appeal. He's he's yeah, one of our himbos. We can talk about it here. <laughs> he is. The one we won't talk about, I keep mentioning, is the Lady Eve. I think Henry Fonda is my preferred himbo there in that performance because he's this rich sugar daddy to her in a way. And mm-hmm. he's a much softer appearance than other works that he's been in. But Gary Cooper... He's just kind of doing his own thing. He's also really soft. And I guess maybe it's something women love or loved at the time. So I've been on the record, too, of saying before that I don't totally get Gary Cooper. But I have to say, I do like him here. I think this is a good use of Gary Cooper because I think he... What did I write in my notes? A hot but wooden (laughs) English professor. (laughs) I do think he's he's a really, really attractive, like very handsome actor. Mm. But I think sometimes it's hard to crack through his shell. I've described him as vanilla previously, mm-hmm. which was unkind. But I think he's kind of like an expensive, pure vanilla extract. Like he's, he's a good kind of vanilla. Um, vanilla but here, bean. I think <laughs> vanilla bean, yeah. He's not a bl- totally bland vanilla, right? It's oh it's a, there's a little more to him, and I think some of that is from some of his other movies. Like we didn't love Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. I don't love Sergeant York. Some of these other movies that he's been in that we've talked mm-hmm. about, but here I actually think it uses his strengths as someone who I don't know is more reserved. That works really well, I think, for him here. And the movie is also totally his doing. He was the one who suggested Howard Hawks as the director. He was the one who suggested Barbara Stanwyck. It was originally supposed to be Ginger Rogers. And I don't think she would have been as good as Sugar Puss. And it's funny because so Goldwyn at the time had Gary Cooper under contract And there was this whole thing where he wasn't happy because all of Gary Cooper's movies, his best movies, were made when he was on loan to other studios. So he was really determined to make a good movie with Gary Cooper. So he hired Billy Wilder and Charles Brackett, who were working for Paramount at the time. And the only reason this trade was even allowed to happen was because... Paramount really wanted Gary Cooper for For Whom the Bell Tolls. Okay. Have you seen For Whom the Bell Tolls? No. Take it off the list if it's ever been on the list. It is a it's a very, a very tough sit. It's a tough one. But so I think Ball of Fire here, one out in the head-to-head versus For Whom the Bell Tolls. I can comfortably say that. But there was a great partnership that was created too because Wilder ended up working with Stanwyck again as we know, in Double Indemnity. And she really became like one of his greatest collaborators, for sure. 
So yeah, Gary Cooper played a big role in wow. making this movie happen and then getting double indemnity to happen, really, if you look at the, the mm. domino effect there. So he's not all bad. We can we be nice to Gary him. Cooper. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I totally would have been into him, though, if I lived in the 40s. I have to admit. We can call it like we see it yeah. there. I mean, he's a towering presence in this movie, and mm-hmm. I think it does work from where we meet him and all of these professors, these, yes, very Seven Dwarf-like characters, but they're all pretty shy. They, like, never go outside. They have Miss Bragg who comes and cleans their clothes and cooks for them. So they haven't really entered society and that's the whole thing about the movie is the writing this encyclopedia and his character in particular about slang so i think to see his transformation and what he does in the end to save sugar puss it does work at least enough i'm not like totally convinced but i think yeah for what else he did like you said i will accept it we'll give him a pass this time (laughs) yes but yeah this was billy wilder's last screenwriting only credit before he starts directing his own films Mm -hmm. and I think we just have so many great movies from him we've talked about him before and I think the script is why everybody shines in this movie the dialogue is so quick I don't know what they're saying half the time everything's in slang Mm -hmm. but from the professors to Barbara Stanwyck who I think just absolutely killed this role she comes in she pretty much betrays them the whole time while she's with Joe. So I think to see her weave in and out of these different groups works for her. I love our first shot of her, our first scene with her where she's dancing and singing. Drum boogie. Original song. It's the best. Should have been. So, so great. I love Mm -hmm. that scene so much. And again, the dress and she goes back to the house and when they take her coat off, Even Gary Cooper, Professor Potts, is like so awestruck. He's like kind of scared because he's never seen a woman in a dress like this. Two, you know, every time she leaves a room, she does that with her tongue. And it's just such a notable thing. I can't remember any quotes again because I don't know what they're saying. But I can remember that Barbara Stanwyck does that and honestly would make my trademark that because of her. Oh my god, it should become your trademark. The premise of having the juxtaposition between this showgirl and professors who have locked themselves away Mm -hmm. that are creating the most formal type of text, really, an encyclopedia, and just the differences in their language styles and just the trope, too, of an English professor like studying her speech, but then just becoming infatuated with her is just so good. It's just such a perfect premise for a comedy that just makes it work so well for me. And I found that I really love Barbara Stanwyck's roles where she has this power over the men in the movie. I feel like she's so good at being like the dominant force over Mm -hmm. the men. And that's probably why I really, really enjoy watching her. And She does that, I mean, in so many ways throughout this movie. But I also just love her costumes. The one during the famous drum boogie Mm -hmm. scene is 
fabulous. And just seeing her also wearing that around all of those old men is so good. It's just so funny when she goes back. And I also love her feathery robe that she wears when she's in bed near the end and she has the rings turned around and she's comparing the diamond sizes. I thought to myself, I need this outfit. I think that to myself often when I'm watching films from this period, but that one, I want that robe so badly. Just wear it sitting in my bed. The ruffled sleeves. Even that, I mean. So fabulous. None of these movies we're talking about today were nominated for costumes, which is atrocious to me. And even Mm. the Lady Eve, where, again, she looks so stunning in everything she wears, be it white, be it black, to stand out from everybody else. Everything just shines on her. There's a wedding dress in that movie that just, like, had my jaw on the floor. I love the Lady Eve so much so we will need to have a Preston Sturgis episode or something Henry That'd Fonda be perfect, yes. <laughs> any excuse to talk about that movie because I love it dearly and it's a crime that she wasn't nominated for an Oscar for mm-hmm. it but they had to pick just one yeah. these are from the same year mm-hmm. so we can maybe well maybe we should do, do that, that now. now yeah would you pick her in the Lady Eve or Fall of Fire or would you make a special rule where she would take a second Both. spot away from someone else? Okay, so this was the Joan Fontaine and Suspicion win year. We also had <sighs> Betty Davis in The Little Foxes, Olivia de Havilland in Hold Back the Dawn, and Greer Garson in Blossoms in the Dust. Are you a Joan fan? Was that the sigh or no? I pretend that that win is for Rebecca mm-hmm. because... There's just not much for her to do in Suspicion. And this would have been, for me, a win I would have given to Barbara Stanwyck in Ball of Fire. Just comparing her to the other nominees. Mm -hmm. I love Betty Davis and Little Foxes. I would kick out Greer Garson, though, in Blossoms in the Dust and replace her with Barbara for The Lady Eve. Okay. Blossoms in the Dust is Greer's worst movie, I think nominated maybe sunrise at campobello that one's really tough too where she plays eleanor roosevelt with the rami malik teeth <laughs> now you have to watch sunrise i have to watch now we have to do a guru garson episode and all of those oh no <laughs> <laughs> we can add it to the long list of topics jones win here is interesting only because it's the only hitchcock performance to ever win an oscar so in that way wow. i kind of want you know, I want some sort of Hitchcock superlative. I didn't realize that. Which is crazy, That she was right? the only one. Wow. If I have to pick Ball of Fire or The Lady Eve, I think I would prefer Ball of Fire because I think there's more for her to do, even though in The Lady Eve, she's mm-hmm. manipulating everybody. Like, by the end, I'm confused if it was actually her the whole time because of... Mm-hmm. What she's saying to not only Henry Fauna's character, but her father. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. So I think I need to watch it again. But in that way, it's really good. But I do really like her in Ball of Fire. But Mm -hmm. nominate her twice. Why not? I think that rule is ridiculous of the Academy. I know. It's crazy. And she could have totally been nominated twice. They should allow it to happen sometimes. Greer Garson will be fine. (laughs) 
if she doesn't have a nomination for Blossoms in the Dust. She wins the next year for Mrs. Miniver, so all will be well in the, the Best Actress universe. Exactly. So if you could give this movie one Oscar, would it be Best Actress for Barbara Stanwyck? As much as I love Barbara, it is not. And it's surprising that wow. it wasn't nominated for screenplay. Yeah. It was nominated for story, but screenplay is when they mm-hmm. actually like adapt a concept into dialogue and an actual screenplay. And I think the verbiage, all of the slang and everything that everybody says is just so off the wall. And the concept is simple, but they make it work so well that I would have given it more nominations. So mine goes for screenplay, but I do really like Barbara. Would your Oscar go for Barbara or something else? Yeah, so on the the script for a se- on the screenplay for a second, I thought it was interesting how Wilder had had this story already. He had a German story called From A to Z that he repurposed for this movie and he actually hired Thomas Monroe to help him to Americanize the script, which I think is really cool. And I just have to read the alternative titles because they're too (laughs) good. Blonde Blitzkrieg and The Professor and the Burlesque Queen. (laughs) I personally do love The Professor and the Burlesque Queen. I think that's so great. But Ball of Fire is perfect because she is a ball of Mm -hmm. fire at the end of the day. And that is why I would also give her my Oscar. She is my favorite part of the movie, of course. And I feel like this role really showcases her comedic talents as an actress, as opposed to her really strong dramatic skills that we saw in the last movie, Stella Dallas. And I love her rapport with the other actors. She's the standout of the movie for me, even though there are a number of good performances. So... I also love the screenplay. I like that too, but I would go with Barbara Stanwyck. I think a good way to combine them both is what Miss Bragg says about her. She says, that is the kind of woman who makes entire civilizations topple. And that really is Barbara in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Those poor men, they never stood a chance. The one thing I will say about Ball of Fire as we're wrapping up, I don't love the ending, like the last act of the movie. Any when Dan when Dana Stevens appears, we kind of get into, I don't know that last section. I lose some interest in it that I had in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I definitely prefer the lead up to when they're in the house and then the time they spend together there. But it's still it doesn't totally fall apart for me. It's just not as fun as the beginning i would say yeah i think it could be tightened up a little bit made a little shorter but i i agree with that and lastly we have sorry wrong number from 1948 description here while on the telephone an invalid woman overhears what she thinks is a murder plot and attempts to prevent it this was directed by anatoly leadback and stars barbara stanwick burt lancaster and richards and wendell quarry This was nominated for one Oscar, Best Actress, for Barbara Stanwyck. What did you think of Sorry, Wrong Number? So this was originally a radio show, radio performance, and I think it plays very much like that. Almost like Mm -hmm. a play. It's also just very old school because I feel like I knew it was going to happen immediately. 
And so yeah. it developed, yes, but not enough for me. This isn't one of my favorites. I get why she was nominated, but it just kind of takes too long to get to that finale, mm-hmm. which is surprising in itself. I think of the three performances that we've talked about today, she has the least to do. She's stuck in her bedroom. She doesn't go anywhere. She talks Mm -hmm. on the phone. She's confined to her bed. She really can't do much. So I think it also struggles in that way of not letting Barbara totally shine. But I do think if this is anybody's movie, it's still her. The concept is very Hitchcockian. So like I'm into it in a sense. But again, it just is kind of slow for me. Had you seen this before? What do you think of Sorry, Wrong Number? I had oddly seen this before, (laughs) but it's not a favorite of mine. I think this is definitely an outlier in her nominations, and it's kind of an odd nomination for her. I understand why it happened. She was a star at this point, and she is really good in those scenes when she's on the phone and she has to do a lot of acting just in her facial expressions. I think she is really good in it. But for me, you mentioning Hitchcock, it's so hard because I think sometimes we cover films where we think, and this kind of happened with Gaslight a little bit with Q-Core to a lesser extent because that's a better movie than this one, but where they get compared to Hitchcock and that's just, no one wants to be compared to Hitchcock because he's totally singular and he's kind of the only person who can do what he does. Mm -hmm. So when you have these movies in this case sorry wrong number that end up feeling like they're reaching for something that's hitchcock but also cutting a lot of corners and not doing too many interesting things visually you lose interest and i definitely lose interest here there are stretches where we're not with her where i just where i just want her back i'm not as invested in what's happening in the story and it does play very much like a classical, straight-up noir. Mm-hmm. I like how the film is shot. Seeing a character just trapped in her bed like that can feel very claustrophobic. But this does, I think, follow a formula, too, right? We get the flashbacks, and like you mentioned, I think it's it's kind of predictable. But it was very, very popular at the time. The radio show was a big hit. Mm-hmm. And... It was written by a woman named Lucille Fletcher, who also wrote the screenplay for the movie. And she, in the radio play, wanted to create something that was a one-woman show that created a character that audiences would be really interested in and invested in. And to some extent, though, I think this character is really difficult to watch at times. And... I think Stanwyck brings a lot to the part, but as a whole, Leona is, I don't know, she's kind of a pain, really, of a character. So I do think it's interesting that Agnes Moorhead was in the radio version and wanted the film role, but they wanted a bigger star, so they went Mm. with Barbara Stanwyck. Because I do think Agnes Moorhead would have been good. I do really like her. She's fun. I was just also confused by her sickness, calling her an invalid, but then seeing that she could walk. I think that just took too much time to understand. And then in the end, it's the psychological heart condition. 
The ending <laughs> really did shock me. I love that the final line is the title of the film. Very, very spooky. So it was kind of the best way to end this, I think. But yeah, Orson Welles was such a fan of the radio program, which is interesting. Mm. But like, that's it for me. I also struggle with Burt Lancaster. Yeah, I was going to ask you about him. Not two of my favorite actors. And I, I don't know why, but from here to eternity and also this, there's just something that I like wasn't rooting for him in a sense or kind of felt mm-hmm. like he was in on it the whole time, which he was. Yeah. So It is an odd role for him. And it's it's very against type for Burt Lancaster, but yeah, he's not he's not a favorite of mine either, actually. Hmm. I don't know what it is about him. I've just never I've never really been drawn to him like I have mm-hmm. to other actors from the period, like Montgomery Clift, Gregory Peck, Jimmy Stewart, of course. I don't know if any of them fit here entirely, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think it's it's interesting that he wanted this role so badly i do think he pulls it off i think he's Mm -hmm. good in this role but yeah he's he's also not one of my favorites not like her i usually go to barbara stanwick's movies for her specifically yeah Yeah, as much as maybe i don't love bert i think they do both of them carry the movie really well so if you could give this movie one oscar would it be best actress for barbara stanwick Absolutely. I feel like she really, for this movie, is the only choice. She makes the movie worth watching and definitely worth checking out. I don't think it's a bad movie by any means. It's just far less interesting than her other works and her other nominations. And this movie and this performance would be the most compelling film or unique film in maybe another actress from the Times filmography. But because Barbara Stanwyck was a free agent for so much of her career and took these incredibly complex, varied roles, mm-hmm. this just doesn't measure up to those. So it's hard, I think, to, I don't know, it's hard to recommend it, I think, in the same way. But I do think, again, for her, it's worth watching. But I do just wish it was a one-woman show. I think that would have been so much stronger. I wish the film didn't take us out of that. I think it would have gotten criticisms for feeling like a radio show or like a play, but I would have preferred that and us and for us to just have the opportunity to spend all of our time with her exclusively. Mm-hmm. What about you? I'm scared to see that version on film only because I feel like it could play like mass a little bit where it's just the same shots of her over and over and over again. That's my only worry, oh, yeah. even though that idea is incredible. Mm-hmm. But yeah, my Oscar would go to Barbara Stanwyck. It would be for her for Best Actress. Another notable name, though. She's the cough drop queen. <laughs> oh my god, the cough drop queen. Heir to this fortune, which is basically why this plot is happening. I do love that she's bedridden because people disagree with her. That's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. It's a different kind of showcase than the other movies we've seen, but she still delivers this captivating performance that carries us through to the end. And I think being in on all of the thrilling aspects of the phone calls and behind the drama, it works, especially because of who she is as an actress. So to wrap up, what was your favorite Barbara Stanwyck story from... The research that you did for this episode. 
I think apart from the A Star is Born comment was just seeing how many people loved working with her. We've talked about on the pod and we've heard about a lot of stories of actors being difficult, to say the least. And there were multiple instances where she worked with Marilyn Monroe at one point, And Marilyn said that she was the nicest actress from the older Hollywood generation to work with her and to actually help her and give her advice. And then Cecil B. DeMille also said that Barbara's name is the first that comes to mind as one on whom a director can always count to do her work with all her heart. So I think her devotion to acting on screen really came from who she was as an actress. And I think you can see that honesty and that commitment really well with all of her performances. And I I really appreciate that from someone who had such a long career and was beloved in Hollywood. I actually think that that's a great fact to end on. Both of my facts were already shared. The first was the Star is Born story. And then I included that little tidbit about her name. And I will say I also love that she never went to high school. Oh my God. That's like Coco saying she doesn't have any loans because she never went to school. Like, good for her. She just won her first Grand Slam. (laughs) She knew what she wanted. She auditioned when she was 16 to work as a chorus girl. And she just rose in the ranks from there. Our Brooklyn cancer. Good for her. No, that's a great fact. Her personal life, though, is very interesting. There's an episode of You Must Remember This where Karina Longworth talks about Robert Taylor and Barbara Stanwyck's marriage. It's really good. Mm -hmm. So highly recommend listening to that if you want like a further deep dive into their politics at the time. A lot of marriages at the time were considered political alliances, which is quite odd, but all of her marriages have some interesting undercurrents to them Mm -hmm. of a star is born type situations. She definitely helped Robert Taylor's career. So it's kind of a flip on her original, a star is born marriage with Frank Fay. Well, a great actress. I love talking about all of these movies. We have more to cover in the future with her and some of the other actors we've talked about today. There's a lot of good old Hollywood cinema out there, and we both recommend starting with these if you want to start anywhere, especially Stella Dallas and Ball of Fire. And sorry, wrong number, I guess, if you're into a more thrilling mystery type (laughs) movie featuring great performances yeah i think all of these are worth checking out and it was really fun to do a deep dive into her career specifically her oscar nominations if you haven't listened to our noir vember episode on double indemnity and sunset boulevard go check that out as well next time on oscar wilde we're going forward to the present taking a break from old Hollywood and we will be talking about the Venice Film Festival, the Telluride Film Festival, and the Toronto International Film Festival, giving recaps from those. I went to Telluride, so I'm going to recap my experience there, talk about some of the movies that I saw, but we'll mostly just go over reactions and talk about what we're excited for in the year ahead and what we're excited to see at New York Film Festival as well coming up. Yeah, lots of great reactions. I'm excited to hear more about your Telluride experience and what overlaps with New York, which is coming really soon. And Mm -hmm. we can talk about some updated Oscar predictions and to see how things have changed over the past month, especially with different awards out of Venice and 
soon, Tiff. So, yeah, I'm excited to cover those. Thank you all for listening to our episodes. Feel free to rate, review, and follow if you like our podcast. And you can find bonus content at www.patreon.com slash Oscar Wilde. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.